Hey everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show, and this is your one-stop shop for everything having to do with freedom, the Constitution, and really, I think, just the best way to live your life. That's the way I look at it. And folks, today we have a special guest right here in the studio, which is also my house. We have Shrilika Pauly today, and uh, I want to introduce you to her because we have, we've met at a number of Republican functions and really just shared our love for the Constitution, for the United States, the freedom, and really just uh, lots of discussions about how we can make the Commonwealth of Virginia and ultimately the United States of America just the, the best place that it can be for freedom, for liberty, and, you know, just economic freedom, education freedom, you know, freedom for every individual that uh, is here in the United States. And what I love about our first generation um, immigrants that have come to this country, uh, many of you know that my my wife's family, you know, comes from the Philippines and, and my father-in-law came here through joining the United States Navy after the Second World War. And you have all these people, and Trilika is one of these people that's come to the country to experience freedom. And what I love about people like like her is and my in-laws is they love freedom they love america and they are very very patriotic because they realize that this country is a beacon of hope and uh is really a place that is, is somewhere where you can reach your potential without obstacles from the government or that's the way that it has been but i'm going to tell you we're risking losing that if we're not careful, and we are working very, very hard to make sure that that doesn't happen. So, uh, Shrilika ran for the Sully District Supervisor position here some time back, and she's all also active in the uh, Asian community, and she's also active in the Hindu and Indian community, and she's going to talk about that. And she's also on the National Advisory Board for the National Committee for Religious Freedom, which is something that I am very passionate about as well, and she uh, was working under Sam Brown back. And um, now she's also on Governor Yunkin's uh, Virginia Asian Advisory Board. So she's a very, very busy woman. She also works at a major hospital here in Northern Virginia. And so this is not a woman with a whole lot of free time, but she is someone that, that truly loves this country and this community. And we're going to talk to her about why she got into this type of work, why she does what she does. And, and I want you to learn as much as you can about her. Mike, I'm thankful that you invited me for the program, and I'm uh, I'm very glad I'm here. Uh, thank you for this that generous introduction. I think you explained very well, starting from beginning about the patriotism, uh, coming from a background as an immigrant, even coming from India. In fact, today I was walking in Walter Reed Medical Facility with my daughter, and um, national anthem, American national anthem, came about, and there were a few people that were walking by, and they just kind of stopped in the middle of the road when National Anthem came around uh, and uh, we ended up uh, kind of stopping um, uh, when the National Anthem came around and after that I was explaining my daughter uh, why it is so very important that we kind of keep doing that even if it is in the middle of the road and I kind of explained it to her about how we did that even back home in India even if it happened in the movie theater. I think just coming from the patriotic background uh, um, just love the country, love everything that is uh, 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 that is everything about America uh, but, but I must admit actually uh, when I came first United States believe it or not um, I was a Democrat <laughs> my husband was the conservative Republican guy and I was one of those Democrats because I didn't know any better <laughs> I always say and I think that is mostly about the uh, mostly about immigrants a lot of immigrants don't know any better they just think they're all Democrats right uh, um, I mean not to throw our immigrant brothers and sisters and the bus we all have some sort of herd mentality we all think uh, we follow democratic values and principles so we have we ought to be democrats and stuff and then the more we start to understand the more we kind of become center right center left and so on and so forth uh, so if i may uh, very briefly i would love to tell tell our your audience uh, on how i kind of started changing my mentality around republican principles yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah so i went to a rally um uh, to Obama's rally. In fact, one of my very good friend was the vice president of some South Asian organization, and uh, she had uh, a ticket to uh, to rally to meet Obama. And uh, I went to Obama's rally, and I took my son, dressed him very well. He was in fifth grade. <laughs> uh, I dressed him up very well. I said, "Oh my, we're going to meet um, uh, Mr." 
president, Mr. Obama, let's go meet him and so on and so forth. And um, just loved the ambience of everything. And uh, Obama started speaking. And um, I, I just, it just didn't feel right to me. His speech was, I felt was very unpatriotic. Uh, I felt his speech was very divisive. And he felt like he was spitting uh, um, certain races. And throughout the speech, it just, uh, throughout the speech, it just really didn't uh, resonate any, any constitutional uh, stuff. It didn't resonate to me. Any American values that I am used to listening. And even back home, I heard a lot of uh, Reagan speeches that was I was very fond of Reagan speeches so it just really resonate didn't resonate with me so I came back home and I started kind of really listening to my husband started really kind of going through the uh, constitution books started learning about more about US history and that's how I kind of pivoted towards Republican values and conservative principles oh that's a fantastic story and I I agree with you. It's It seems like a lot of, uh, and I have a lot of immigrants tell me this, that when you come to this country, it's you're, you're almost told that you have to be a Democrat. You, you come here, and, and we're talking about people for the, for the most part are very conservative. When you're, when the Indians that I talk to, Muslims that I talk to, Hispanics that come to this country tend to be actually be very conservative people when it comes to family values, wanting to work hard, wanting to have a, a future, wanting to be protected, right? And by the government, you know, because that's the number, in my opinion, the number one role of any government is the protection of its people. And if you go by issue by issue and you talk to, to various groups, they're, they're, they're conservative in that way. But what, as soon as they get here, they're told, uh, you need to be part of this party over here. And even the name, the Democrat party, it, it sounds like, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm for democracy. So even that, the, the name lends itself to that. And they, be, they get really pigeonholed, if you will, into that category. And it seems to be tough to break out of that. But really the values that most people hold are contrary to the values that, that they really have because many immigrants are very religious, very family oriented, very pro life, but then they come here and they're told these are the people that are against you. These are the white supremacists. These are the people they don't want you here. They want to kick all of you out of here. And that's not true. And so, uh, are those things that you started to realize or am I off track on that or what do you, what do you think? Not at all, Mike. You're not at all off track. And uh, I actually am the uh, Fairfax GOP's vice chair of strategy and communications. And also I, I also play a dual role with as being a vice chair of 11th congressional district as well. So I'm talking to candidates all the time. And this is how I try to explain it. I'll try to kind of break it down. We, I mean, I say we can talk about value system all day long, right? Saying that, Hey, as conservatives, as minority communities, I work with multi-faith communities. We all have family, freedom, academic excellence, uh, all are the same values. Are, the values are no different. Faith, family, freedom. Uh, I mean, we are very uh, close-knit families and so on and so forth. So why is that minority communities and immigrants don't vote for Republicans? I mean, I think that's a bigger topic. We can talk about that. But I also will say one thing. Uh, Republicans have to do a better job of embracing these communities as they come into this country. If you go to these naturalization ceremonies, you see a lot of Democrats talking mm -hmm. to them. When I was working in actually, in fact, when I came to United States or when I came to D.C. area, uh, I lived in other states before I came to D.C. area. When I was uh, working in George Washington University Hospital, um, knowingly or unknowingly, it was my uh, friends that reached out to me were all Democratic friends. Uh, um, I got into these organizations uh, and most of those organizations were very liberal organizations. Maybe but that's because I was working in D.C. area. Not one Republican friends. It was me that reached out to Republicans. Uh, but that being said, I'll tell you, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of break it down. It may sound like very ignorant talk, but I want you also to understand and I want some of your audience to understand this. Mm -hmm. So when I was back home, for me, um, um, I thought my parents were conservative and that was very claustrophobic feeling to me. When I say conservative, um, I come from a very small town and uh, riding bicycle as a girl was a no-go. 
So I wanted to kind of break that chain and come out. And I thought being in America means I'm liberated. Mm -hmm. So when somebody says Democrat Party is liberation, I thought, oh my gosh, that's where I belong. But it took me a while to understand that uh, um, being feminist is not exactly what real feminism is, Mm -hmm. right? Being empowered is not liberal 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 so i know it kind of sounds so when we are coming from a place where we feel uh, where we feel claustrophobic uh, because we were not allowed to swim i was never allowed to learn swimming i was never allowed to learn biking just because they thought uh, my parents thought uh, exposing me too much into this boys world in that little town was actually not a good thing right i thought oh my gosh only if i could go to america i can do all of these great things right so the first vehicle i learned is car in america right maybe i kind of learned how to drive a car a bit when i went to college and stuff like that so this was a liberation for me so when i say liberal liberal principles it feels like again democrat so most of the girls that come from uh, um, third world countries or other countries feel like uh, yeah, this is liberating, so I must be a Democrat. But they don't relate and say the conservative party here means that you can still be liberated, but you hold on to your faith. You hold on to your family values. You hold on to your traditional principles of family values. So that is where when you embrace and explain to them, they get it. So that takes a lot of uh, bringing them with you. And that's where Republican Party fails uh, doing it, if that, if that makes any sense at all. No, it does. And I think that, as you know, I'm running for the Virginia State Senate here. Um, one of the things that I, I've noticed that it's really hit me, and I don't mean to be critical of people, but I'm, I'm just going to call it what it is. I don't think that we do a very, very good job in explaining to the public what we are and who we are and motivating them to pursue those principles because we are the party of liberty. We are. Um, we are about, because really it's the government. It's the government that prevents you from do, living that life of liberty. I mean, with restrictions, with trying to shut us down. And we've seen a lot of that. What, what the last two or three years with COVID, that's exactly what this was. The government didn't allow me to go to church. The, the government wouldn't allow me to go to work. It was the government that made me do things that I didn't want to do with the threat of losing your job or losing your liberties. And, that was the Democrat Party that was that, that was pushing all of this. It's still pushing all of this, and so I think for a lot of immigrants, it's been turned around, and they don't understand because the the terminology may have meant different things in the cultures that they came from. But whose responsibility is it to educate the public on where the liberty comes from? It's on us, and we don't do a good enough job at that. But uh, we are facing that, and so you went on this journey to. Correct that. I mean, you, you just mentioned that you went from being a Democrat yourself to becoming a Republican. So once you did that, what did you do? Because I, I, I got to tell you this. I mentioned your name in Republican circles. Um, I didn't I didn't share this with you. Today, I was having lunch in downtown Washington, D.C., and I saw a man that I knew, and I told him I was going to be doing a podcast with you two. And that guy says, Sherlocke is known everywhere. She is a power player in Republican politics in Northern Virginia. And this was this is down in Washington, D.C. Somebody said that to me. So you've obviously developed a name for yourself in, in the political world. So what was what what happened? So you you became a Republican. And then you went on this journey. Where did that take you? So, uh, Mike, uh, thank you for saying that. I think, uh, Mike, I was uh, one of those person that just never back off, uh, right? I am somebody that is uh, that is always in, uh, just like you, actually, we were just having a conversation. You are not uh, in senators just to win. You want to make a difference. I mean, that comes because of your service for 20 years. You were, you uh, were. No, no, a, no. 32 years. 32 years. I'm sorry. No, that, that's a good thing. 20, uh, year, 20 years in the FBI, but that was just part of it. I was in the Navy and a police officer. Exactly. No, 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 no I, I just have to laugh because it's like, oh, it's been a lot longer it, than that. Exactly. So <laughs> but when you come from that kind of service oriented, you, you are not just there to win, right? So I'm a healthcare professional myself. So when somebody says, 
hey, how did you get into healthcare? I said, I don't know anything else to do. I always wanted to be in a healthcare world. Uh, so service is in my blood. I mean, uh, my um, my uncle was a, uh, was a physician and he was a community servant more than a physician. Uh, he was an MD, but he always did a lot of community service and he, I watched him. So that is all, that has always been in my blood. But coming to service, so once I lost election, I never backed off, right? Because I kind of knew heart of my heart that until um, as a candidate, I've learned all this knowledge, but until we make changes in our own communities, nothing is going to change, right? So I stayed within the party and started working with the candidates and started kind of helping them grow along with me. I enjoy mentoring people. I enjoy educating people. Now, again, coming back to um, immigrants and so on and so forth, I think um, uh, I've seen what I kind of exactly know what Republican Party is missing. So I've kind of taken upon myself to kind of uh, uh, build a bridge. I want to make sure uh, I just don't want to be in this to say, okay, I'm done with my race. I didn't win. I'm only going to jump in when I'm ready to run again. I think that's what most candidates do right now. And I, I hate to use the word despise in the, such a great ambience. And I don't like that. Let me put it that way. I said, you came in, you acquired all this knowledge and you told us that you're here for this liberty. America is an opportunity. You said all these big words when you're running and then you back off as soon as you lose the elections. Don't stay in. Keep the motivation going. Do the best you can. You can do it all, obviously. But stay in and start making the difference within the party. And I think that's, that, that is precisely what I want to continue to do. Uh, I may run again, but if I, I may not too. I mean, I just really want to make a difference within our people. Uh, just like the way you said, I said, if people think I have to run and make a difference in the future, I will, if they think this is going to be my role, this is going to be my role. But I think it is extremely important this country uh, uh, remains the way it is because there is no other better country in this world than America. Trust me, I've traveled enough in this world to realize that there is no better country than America and we can't lose this great nation. Oh, absolutely. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like you, I've, I've traveled between the military and the FBI. Uh, I've traveled all around the world. Um, and I, it, it just amazes me that people want to start adopting policies that other nations have. Yeah, I hear this all the time. Well, you know, in Europe, they do this. You know, in this country, they do that. And we like, have you been to those countries? You and I are both in the healthcare field now, right? Yes. How many people do you know that when they need brain surgery or heart surgery, travel to other countries to get that done. Do you know anybody that no, does that? Not from America. <laughs> no, no, how about how many people do you know from other countries come here to have that done? A whole lot of people. Right, so Every I'm always told, day. hey, uh, you know, in Europe they do this and the, their healthcare system, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Well, there's socialized medicine in, in Iceland. I heard that the other day. I'm like, yeah, but Iceland has about, what, 250,000 people? Yeah. We have, what, about 340 million people? Yeah. Um, you can't, you know, it's not a one-on-one -on -one comparison. You can't, you can't do that. By the way, I don't know anybody that goes to Iceland. No offense to my, I, I lived in Iceland. Don't get, don't get me wrong. No offense to Icelandic people, but if I need surgery today, I'm not going to Iceland to get that done. I'm going to go right down the, actually, I'm going to go to the hospital that you and I, you and I work at. That's the way that, that it is. We are the beacon. Can we improve things? Can we improve? Absolutely we can, but I'm not going to dump our system and start adopting you know, what other countries are doing, but that's, but we have people that my opponent is one of those people. She doesn't like our system. She thinks our entire judicial system, for example, is, is racist. Yeah. She thinks it's systemically racist. And all of these people really don't like this. It, it, it's the end of the day. They don't like our country, but we can't, this is what we have and we need to improve it. And that's what we, we have to do. But we're not going to abolish our system because, like you mentioned, it is the best system on earth. But I would challenge yeah. your your opponent to say, have you gone outside the country and lived for any more than a month? Right. Have you utilized one service outside? I have. <laughs> I, I've lived, I lived in overseas. Exactly. For, I spent three years in another exactly. country. I have. And, I, and it, it was a great country. And there was great people. Oh, yeah. There's nothing against them. Oh, yeah. 
I don't want to be them. Exactly. I do not want to be them. Exactly. Yeah. So I think if you get to debate your other candidate, I think you should you should ask the question saying that have you lived in another country for multiple years and have you used those services for multiple years? Right. So how can you say America's services are bad? I mean, the only person that even has uh, remotely any idea is when you live there and when you have utilized those services. I have to <laughs> laugh when you say that. A uh, my my brother in law was in the the Philippines and he said and he was over there and he says hey mike you know uh when you're over there i i wouldn't he he fell off of a motor scooter he was on it and he fell on it he broke one of his bones and so he goes to the hospital and it, and he was so amazed he came back and he goes it only cost me $25 when i was in the hospital he says i really wish we could do that here in the united states and i said $25 now but if if you needed to have major surgery if you needed a transplant and you paid twenty five. Did you did you really want that hospital you're at to to do and remove one of your kidneys or do it? And he said, absolutely not. And I said, you better think about that for a minute. Exactly. You can't just be focused on the price tag and say this is it's cheap and all the people here can afford health care. Um, you kind of get what you pay for exactly. too. You know, you be careful with that. Exactly. Yeah. So, Mike, I also want to go back to the point that you asked in the past, saying that mm-hmm. how did I even get started with all yeah. of this? I think uh, a couple of things that kind of um, uh, kind of motivated me to do something is mm-hmm. I, my children has always been my motivating factor. Mm. Uh, I was actually the president of Durga Temple, one of the largest Hindu American te- Hindu temple in the Northern Virginia area. It's actually right um, down the street here. It is it's right, right down, down the street. The street. From where yeah. we're sitting right now, yep, exactly. Some great people um, there. A, a very nice temple, yeah. very, a very beautiful temple. And I always joke and say that I'm from South India. If you kind of understand the Indian thing in South India, you don't speak as as much Hindi, which is the national language. I I speak well enough, but I can't uh, give a speech. It is a North Indian temple that tells the greatness of America. They still made me the president, even though I can't uh, give a good speech. So that tells the greatness of this America. Regardless of what, if you're capable, you get to be a, a leader of an organization. It has a congregation of five to 7,000 uh, uh, devotees and so on and so forth. And I was barely 30 years old. So I ran that huge budget and that uh, big temple. The so board of trustees are amazing, amazing temple. So uh, while I was, uh, while I was, uh, I, the reason I was there is because I was running the Sunday school, taking care of the kids and so on and so forth. That's how I got into the leadership position. But however, while uh, my son was going into one of these uh, schools in Fairfax County, uh, in Fairfax County, and I had a question about the sex education classes, those FLE classes. Um, and that's how I got into a discussion with the principal. I mean, less of an argument, more of a discussion. And uh, that was the first time it just dawned on me where my my husband and my uh, myself were called into a principal's office. That was the first and last time me and my husband were ever called into office because of my one of my child. Um, uh, because there were three kids that got into some um, uh, some discussion about a female body part after they taught that FLE class one day and they were trying to suspend these three kids. One of them was my kid. Uh, ultimately, nobody got suspended. But, uh, but then my question was uh, that at the tender age, why would you teach this to these kids? Because coming from a migrant background, it just didn't make sense that a third or fourth grade why are you teaching this kind of materials and my husband uh, is a very mellow guy by the way he's definitely not uh, as vocal as me my husband was trying to tell in a local language because he didn't want principal to know what he's telling me he's like Shrilika this is America maybe this is how they teach you can't speak back against (laughs) principals around here and I was trying to respond to him in local language saying that but 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 Shrina this does not make sense this is a young child. Why are they teaching this content? Uh, I mean, doesn't matter whether this is Western world or Eastern world. Look at the content. So that was the time it just sparked on me saying that this content is super inappropriate for these kids. And then I started paying attention to the content. That's when the parental, mo- parental stuff started in me. And then I have been 
super active ever since. I have been after school coordinator for every school activity for my children. I was the vice president of one of the school PTA. I was the president of a school PTA. Um, uh, I am very active in TJ right now, Thomas Jefferson. I supported Jason Meares, our attorney general, when he went into national school, uh, merit scholarship sca- uh, scandal that they created. So since then, for the past decade or so, I've been super active in schools and kind of have very good understanding of why our academic performance in Fairfax County has been in decline. And it has. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're not familiar with Fairfax County, Virginia, Fairfax County, Virginia has always been known as being some of the top schools in the country. In fact, you mentioned TJ or Thomas Jefferson. It's known as TJ up here. Uh, it's a magnet school. And it, it, it is a school has been considered one of the best in the nation. And that's been in decline. I'm not saying TJ has been in decline, but the school system here has been in decline. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And so first, um, maybe sort of, uh, address or you take, take this topic however you want to the academic decline. What's happened there? What are we doing? And then also, if you're not familiar with this, it's been national news, but there were, I believe it's 18 schools. At least the last time I heard it was 18 schools that were the, the kids that were national merit scholars were not informed in time that they were national merit scholars and it cost many of them opportunities in, in collegiate a- activities. And then it turns out that most of these were people of color, predominantly Asians actually, that were not notified of that. Uh, Jason Miaris, the attorney general here in Virginia, uh, launched an investigation that's ongoing as we speak, actually. So it's a big deal. That's a big deal. And particularly with this, uh, well, this particular week, uh, we just found out that the affirmative action is, was overturned by the Supreme Court. And now this is the idea saying that you cannot use someone's skin color as the, uh, determining factor for preference. You know, that, that, right? That's a unique idea that we shouldn't be judging people based on their, their skin color. All of this melds together. So maybe if you could address that a little bit and why is that important? And where are we with that? Because Fairfax County has really done a reversal in, in its academic course. And that's very, very important. But, but how did we get here? So, uh, I mean, long story short, uh, Mike, I think you kind of summarized it well. Um, uh, bottom line is they took away the meritocracy. They call it as equity. Uh, they, they kind of uh, reduced the standards of the entire education at this point. Uh, um, the goal is, I think their purpose is that, uh, in order for, um, uh, for some children, uh, are uh, some race kids are performing uh, at a greater length. So that is unfair to some kids. So we are going to purposely not, uh, purposely not treat them well enough or purposely not provide them opportunities. So we can equalize everyone. I think that is so un-American. I think America is laid on the ground principle of uh, providing opportunities to all. Well, ultimately, equally. it's racist. It is very racist. It is racist. a racist practice. It is a racist practice. But let me also tell you, Mike, and I think I'm trying to say this very um, uh, in every po- podcast, but I don't believe anybody is catching the fever. I hope your podcast will catch the, uh, hopefully the audience will catch this. This is happening in corporate walls everywhere. And this is not just happening right now. I said this 13 years back in a different corporate that I work. I won't name anything, uh, any corporates at all, because I'm just really not uh, um, not, not in the business of uh, pinpoint anyone. Um, but um, there are certain races uh, that get ahead even in corporate life. And I'm not saying they're not capable of it but there is some some races get uh, some races uh, professionals get unfairly treated they just won't have the same opportunities to move up um, just because they're trying to have this demographic mix and i think that is super 
for an American. Uh, that is purely racist. Uh, you, I just feel like um, this is just not academical. And, uh, and, that, and that is another problem. I'll kind of, this is the whole circle, right, where I think Fairfax GOP, not uh, um, the Republican Party, the Republican leaders, national leaders have to do a better job and not let academical kids, because all these second generation kids are coming and teaching their moms and dads on equity principles. And that's where the second or first generation immigrants are learning the concepts from indoctrinated kids. <laughs> so it's just like a rabbit hole. It's like we are not reaching out to this immigrant parents and minority communities and second generation indoctrinated kids are coming and telling these people equity is the best way to go. And then you hear that from corporates as well when you go into these corporate walls. So it's like you're never able to catch up with them at all because we are not doing a great job. So this is like a rabbit hole that we are getting into and God knows when we are going to just really wake up. I think the wake up is actually happening right now because I mean, look at candidates like Vivek Ramaswamy that's like really coming up and saying, you know what, this has to stop. Coming back to affirmative action, in fact, I was very uh, thankful that it happened on my birthday. So I got a chance to just get out for an hour. That happened uh, on your birthday? Uh, on my birthday, June wow. 29th. I will never forget. Yeah. I had the opportunity to just get out for lunch for an hour in Washington, D.C. So I went in front of Supreme Court, did my little thing, uh, spoke there in front of Supreme Court and came and I thanked God for it. I said, again, judge by the content, but definitely never by the color or anything. Um, I, I, and I think I had uh, a certain race people come in and say that we are work, we are uh, riding on their backs. And I think my thing is, I said, I said, I'll, I said, I'm a healthcare professional. I said, I'm a mom. I said, I love everyone. I said, I'm just, I, I, my personality has always been that I just love people. <laughs> I said, that's just been me. I said, this is actually good thing. I said, it's good for your kids too. I said, competition is good. I said, it's good for my kid. It's good for your kid. It's going to be good for your grandkids. It's going to be good for your great, great grandkids. I said, meritocracy is good for all of us. I said, I want you to compete with me, me to compete with you. <laughs> I said, that's how our country is going to be great. Otherwise, somebody else is going to come in and rule, rule us. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, it, and it's con competition gives us excellence. Um, not one of us would want to, you know, staying in the healthcare arena, um, would if you had to go in and have a triple bypass surgery on your heart, would you want to go in there? Okay, ladies and gentlemen here in the room, my, my medical team, I want to make sure that the doctor that performs my surgery is, was a diversity and equity uh, pick to do this. Or do you want the best person? The person flying that airplane that you're in. The person um, building that bridge over there that you're, you and your children are going to drive over, uh, do you want that to be a diversity equity selection or do you want the best engineer building that bridge? What do you want? You know, or how about the, the people that built the airplane that you're putting your family into? I mean, really, when you put it into um, that logical, say, th th we all want the best in Absolutely. anything. Absolutely. You know, you, you, you get a diversity of opinion. Um, and that, you know, who, who's this surgery? I know every time I, I've had surgery, you know, I've had surgery in, in the last few years. And I know my wife and I sat down and we were very meticulous. If this guy, if this guy or gal is going to cut me open, because yeah. I've had two surgeries where I had to cut open. We did a lot of background check on who is this person? You know, what school did they go to? How did they do at school? What, uh, you know, what are their board certification? We want the, if you're going to be putting me under with anesthesia and cutting me open, I don't want the guy that was picked because of his skin color, solely on his skin color. I want the best person, right? Absolutely. It's kind of common sense, isn't it? But it seems like yep. in this this realm, we've kind of lost that. We've lost that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it makes, it, I don't know of anybody that when you get into the real world, sometimes the political world <laughs> yeah. is not the real world. Yeah. But when you get into the real world, Everybody wants excellence. Absolutely. And also, Mike, uh, that being said, I also said representation matters. I believe that wholeheartedly, right? There's been numerous places in my life where I walk in and I feel like, 
why does nobody look like me? <laughs> right? That has been numerous. I mean, in fact, uh, uh, it's it's kind of funny. I've, I just booked myself for a conference and they said I could be one of those moderator for the panels. So I went oh. to see who were the moderator of the panels and I opened up. It's all one race. And I'm just smiling. Here you go. So I do believe representation matters. But I, I also believe that competition does bring representation, right? So you have to figure out a way to uh, make this, um, uh, uh, make diversity happen by mm-hmm. not lowering the standards. Yes. So I feel like uh, um, I'm not one of those person that would say that in healthcare professional, let's say I come from an Indian background, I can't speak, uh, I can't eloquently speak English. I may feel very comfortable if there is a doctor that may speak a little bit of Hindi that may understand what vegetarian diet is. When I say, hey, I don't eat onions on Saturday, I want the doctor to not look at me saying that, what do you mean you don't eat onions, right? So I, a, a, a cultural sensitivity is very important. I understand. I want, uh, I, I agree if I'm that, a Jewish yeah. person and uh, a, a, a Jewish person says, I don't take elevator on a Saturday, I want to feel empathetic about it. I work sure. in a Jewish facility. So I truly believe representation matters. I truly believe cultural sensitivity matters but I always uh, say all of those matters but it's definitely not at the expense of excellence right you are not going to undermine excellence and dilute excellence just to achieve diversity so you accomplish that diver uh, you accomplish that kind of representation by increasing uh, um, uh, by increasing other factors by kind of that that's precisely what I tried to do when I was an after school coordinator for other activities, I tried to kind of incorporate free and reduce lunch kits by bringing in additional resources and sponsorships by making sure those kids get to compete by uh, offering them free fees uh, by not even charging them so they get to compete as well. So there are multiple ways we can include and actually look at root issues versus band-aid techniques. But you're not going to dilute the excellence and say that I'm just going to let you kind of get into cardiology fellowship just because you belong to certain race or you don't belong or I'm not going I'm going to exclude you just because you're Asian or white or you're black you don't do that (laughs) that's what I'm but I I do believe in representation trust me I don't want to be the one person in the boardroom every time I walk in (laughs) no and I I agree with you 100% and it's we're we're always looking for the best so how do we get there then we bring people up yep. and we, we make sure that people have the, uh, that they're in a safe environment. And so, uh, when you look at, uh, look at the field I work in, I work in the addiction. I come from the law enforcement military and, and now I'm a, I'm a therapist for drugs and alcohol. And when I, so you look at people of color and when I go down and I, in my district that I'm running in right now, and I'm intentionally spending a lot of time with, with people of color and asking them, what are your issues? And they, to a person, are telling me it's crime. It is drugs, particularly fentanyl. Not just fentanyl, but fentanyl is the big issue. It's the number one killer of people between the ages of 18 and 39. And it is disproportionately affecting people of color. And what I say is, I want you to have excellence. I want people of color to go into law enforcement, to go into the military. Because law enforcement in the military, I got... uh uh, well, I got my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, the, the, the military paid for. And it's not because of white privilege. It's not because of, I served my nation and the United States Navy, where I was said, Hey, uh, do you want to go back and get a, a master's degree? Yeah. They, they paid for it. Well, all of the, the people of color that I served with, which were many, they had the same opportunity and they, and I want people to benefit from that. Okay. But what we have to do is teach our young people not to not engage in behaviors that will prevent them from getting that. For example, you can't be doing drugs all your life and committing crimes and getting arrested for felonies and then say, okay, now I'm going to go fly helicopters like Mike did in the Navy. It doesn't work that way. And so what we're going to do, and I talk to a lot of people in these communities, and they're saying, we, you and I were talking about this earlier, educating our young people to not do that, uh, to, to live a clean life, to strive for excellence, to do the things that will put you into those positions so you can excel. But the problem is, that uh, in many communities, folks are not living a clean lifestyle. They're engaging in behaviors and they're taking drugs and it's getting worse. 
It's getting worse over time, not better. And they are self-sabotaging themselves. And it really breaks my heart because I do know that these young kids that, that I see in these communities have bright futures, can have bright futures, but they self-sabotage. And oftentimes, it is the community itself. Like, for example, um, you know, uh, young, young kids, particularly kids of color, being told to distrust the police. The police are your enemies. You know what they're trying to do? All these police are out there. You know, they, if they, you, know y- you walking out the door and getting into a car and getting pulled over, uh, wow, that's a dangerous thing because there's a good chance if you're a person of color, the police are going to kill you. That is absolutely absurd. That's not true. And we, we, we train people to engage in behaviors that makes it even more dangerous. Don't cooperate with the police. Don't follow instructions. Um, to this day, if I get pulled over, me, I'm very, a very white guy, as you can tell. Very cooperative when I get pulled over. I, I follow the instructions and, and don't make this escalate the situation but oftentimes you know people in various communities are told to escalate the situations because the police are their enemy uh, are there bad police out there sure we're going to do it and in the in the senate we're going to deal with that okay but yeah. that's not everyone you know imagine that you and i work in a hospital right yeah. so imagine this i because I, I, I like taking something out of, out of context into a different context apply the same logic and then ask yourself if it still makes any sense. Let's say you and I go into a hospital and we go, hey, Dr. Smith over here is a bad guy. He's committing fraud. He's a bad guy. He, he, there's malpractice. And, um, and we all go, yeah, that's a, that's a bad doctor. Well, we have an idea. We're going to shut down this hospital because Dr. Smith is a bad doctor. Because that's what we did with police forces. Mm-hmm. Like we defund them, let's just shut them all down nationwide because there's one bad officer here in, in this community. Now, if we were to do that in the hospital that you and I work at, the whole community would go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. I, I get under, I understand Doctor Smith's a bad doctor, but we kind of need the hospital, exactly. Kind of need that. Yeah. How about we just deal with Doctor Smith yeah. and then try to put, you know, work on how we can prevent other Doctor Smiths from happening. Yeah. Why don't we do that? Yeah. But if we shut down the hospital, that's really bad for the community. Good, but. Now, think about that. That's what we did with our police forces and what happened. All of our crime went up. Exactly. And yeah. who is disproportionately negatively impacted by yeah. that? Yeah. People of color. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Does that make sense? Exactly. Exactly. So, But how is color. it that people in these communities, and you're closer to these communities than I am, yeah. how is it that that message is lost? Because it seems... Like logical to me. Yeah. Logical. The, the message is not getting lost, actually. You will be surprised. The message is really resonating at this point. I think people are starting to, especially during COVID and after COVID, it's starting to affect their communities and they're starting to see it. Uh, uh, the, um, especially when it comes to car breakings. A lot of it, I can talk about Indian uh, American businesses. I've had to work with uh, Attorney General Jason Meares, and who has been exceptional, by the way. Uh, and in fact, I had to call the sheriff, uh, uh, Michael Chapman from Loudoun County as well, about jewelry businesses, jewelry being uh, um, uh, stolen, all these diamond jewelries. Uh, yesterday, I was uh, you were there at one of the event uh, where we were talking about uh, restaurant businesses going down the drain. Yeah, uh, we were, we were talking to a... Um I believe he's a Kurdish man Kurdish that we spoke man. to. Yeah, Correct. we spoke to a Kurdish man and he talked about that. So I think yeah. people are waking up. I mean, I think people are starting to realize saying that, hey, the crime is up, the taxes are up, the COVID's uh, unemployment, I mean, the employment, I mean, the jobs are there. People don't want to work. It's like every step of the way we are starting to realize that, hey, we have the jobs, but nobody wants to work at this point because I always say Biden policies have just kind of given out so much money. People kind of got gotten used kind of sitting around for a while so there has been very little incentive to work i think uh, especially immigrant communities had the majority of the effect because a lot of them are small business owners and so on and so forth so they're starting to so so i think i'm very hopeful that people are finally waking up in in fact i think bay area who we thought will never see any of these the homelessness oh my gosh you walk into dc you're like what what 
what's going on. I went to San Francisco about two, two and a half years back for a conference and I'm like, oh my gosh, how are people living here anymore? So I think people are really starting to kind of wake up and look around and say, this is not the America I came to. This is yeah. not the America I ever envisioned is going to look like it. And it yeah, I, I was, uh, you, yeah. speaking of which, I was just down in Washington, D.C. today, yeah. as a matter of fact. And that it, it hits you. Yeah. It, I mean, it just, it, and I've been around Washington, D.C. for a long, I was a D.C. police officer years ago. But you go down there now, it's it's unrecognized. It's embarrassing, actually. And and I don't mean embarrassing because of the people. These people need help. Uh, a lot of mental illness. You know, most of the people that you're seeing have very significant mental health and addiction issues, combination of both. And, uh, and that'll be another discussion for another day. I have very definite ideas on what we can do about that. But it's gotten worse over a period of time because we aren't addressing those root issues. And we need to address those root issues because it's not good for the people that are living on the street. Uh, many of these people are committing crimes and because of their, their mental health issues that are being unaddressed. And and um, it, it's not good for them. It's Absolutely. not good for them. It's not safe for them to be out on the streets. And we need to do more about that. But I agree with you. I think that there has been a big turnaround. I know when I go down and I talk in my district, the district I'm running in, uh, and I ask people, I ask minorities, what's your number one issue? They say crime. Well, what do you think prompted this? And to a person, they say, you know, I don't think it was a good idea to attack the police the way that we did. It, it, this has been very, very devastating to our community. And, you know, we need to work on that. We need to build our police up. We need to fund our police. We need to educate our police. I want them to be the best. I, one of my campaign slogans is this. I want to make the first responders in Virginia the best in the nation. And that's education, it's training. Uh, I really want to work on, because uh, I know when I was a police officer, we had no training in dealing with uh, mental health issues, even though about 80%, 80% of the people that I dealt with on the street in Washington, because I was a, a D.C. police officer, had significant mental health issues or addiction issues. Um, so addiction training, we, we had none of that. It was, you commit a crime, we take you to jail. That's the only the only option. But resources that were available, how do you de-escalate? How do you deal with someone that has a, is having a, a schizophrenic episode? What does that look like? What are the resources? Where can we divert them to? We didn't have any of that, but we want to do that in Virginia. And I know my opponent is completely unequipped. Her only response to all of this is, it's racism and that the entire system is is racist. And I don't believe that. And I'm, I want to tell you something else too, and, I, and I'll be quiet with this and get your response. I find the people that say that our entire, now th listen to what they're saying, the entire judicial system to include prosecutors and everyone in between is racist. That is so offensive. Yeah. The people that I worked with over 32 years between the military and law enforcement are people that have devoted their lives to the service of this nation. Uh, are there bad apples? Just like in any profession, there are bad apples. But they're few, and, and I want to be very clear about this. They are few and they're far between. And people like us will do everything we can to weed them out and make sure that they are eliminated from that system. But to say that the whole system is racist, is offensive to me. And it is a disgrace to all of the people that go to work every single day, risking their lives to do this job. Mike, Your I, thoughts uh, on that? I always say, I mean, I say this to healthcare professionals uh, too, saying that no one uh, uh, as a healthcare professional gets up on a daily basis wanting to come to work and harm a patient, right? I will say this uh, to even police officers, nobody, any service-oriented industry for that matter, 99.9% .9 of them don't get up on a daily basis, especially in service-oriented industry that has worked for 32 some years or 40 some years, get up want to be a racist. We are not by bad human beings by nature. I mean, are there bad apples? Absolutely. But I, I think just by, uh, sometimes I say by uh, calling everything as racist, I feel like you don't want to peel the onion and actually uh, take the tough job of solving the issue. So you're trying to be lazy and avoid the issue 
uh, and don't want to do the real job of fixing the issue. So you just like really take the easy route out and call it as racism and just so you can cop out of the situation, right? But if you really want to lead and be a leader, you actually look at the root causes and try to solve the issue, which is actually a lot of work. <laughs> it is. Because it is a multimodal issue. Because, you know, you, you've heard the old adage, right? Yeah. That if everything is a problem, then nothing is a problem. Exactly. Because if exactly. the whole system, you know, because I, I will tell you, having been inside the system, yeah. and those of those of you that listen to this podcast know I've been very critical of the FBI, yeah. highly critical of the yeah. FBI. But I know where the problems are. I know who the problems are. And I and it's not just, but I've never said that the entire FBI is bad. I said there are bad people. Yeah. And this, there are problems in the system. And by the way, I've chronicled this on this, this podcast. I've gone into great detail as to what the problems are and then proposed solutions to those problems. And people, I can name yeah. certain individuals yeah. that, to, to remove. And the same is true of law enforcement. And I, I can tell you, if you're a sheriff or uh, it, whether it's Prince William County, Fairfax County, where we are, or the chief of police, I can sit down with your your agency and talk to you realistically about where you're where you're well, and where more importantly where you're not well, and sit down and actually have an intelligent discussion with the chief or uh, sheriff about how we can team together as a legislator and use the chief of the sheriff and fix those issues specifically. Okay. Uh, that's how you fix those problems. But if I just come in and say, you know what, chief, your entire department is racist, you're not fixing any. First yeah. of all, you're, the chief's not going to work with you because he's going to know that you have no idea what you're talking about. And yeah. then second of all, what, what is, what's the solution to that? Absolutely. Okay, your whole your whole department is racist. Your whole department's a problem. Okay, well, how do I work with that? Exactly. I have nothing to target. I have nothing to work on. Right. Absolutely. And that's what we've lost in this society. We've pit, we've pit all white people are privileged. All white people are racist. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Can you say that? Can, but if, if I was to turn around and say, like in your case, all Indian people are racist, all Indian people are privileged, you would say yeah. that makes no sense whatsoever. No. no. Yeah. But for some reason, we can look at another group of people and say that that's perfectly fine. It is not fine with any group of people no. because yeah. there's good, the bad, the ugly. In everything. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, but again, going back to another one about mental wellness, I want to make sure you actually and your mm -hmm. audience are also aware because you do a lot of work with that, along with police officer work. Uh, Pat, uh, a supervisor, Heriti, who is a Springfield supervisor, mm -hmm. was, um, um, I, I was honored. He put me at, as a CSB super um, uh, representative for Springfield mm -hmm. District for your audience purposes. It's Community Services Board. So we do a lot of work mm -hmm. with police officers with all the things that you're talking. So I personally have seen the great work that they do, uh, all the great initiatives they do beyond policing activity. And mm -hmm. um, on behalf of Community Services Board, I also held, uh, along with another, uh, uh, along with other Community Services Board members, we did what is called as Pathways to Wellness Conference, mm -hmm. uh, where, uh, and I was pleasantly shocked uh, to see how many folks had wellness issues. Yes. I hated to use the word mental health issues, but wellness issues and the cravings for wellness issues. So I think the mm -hmm. conclusion to that was uh, police initiatives beyond policing uh, were discussed all the time in these community services board meetings uh, for these uh, mental health issue clients. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the initiatives that are done even in our own local communities are immense. So there is a lot of great work that's going on within our there community. Is. There is. And yeah. uh, I know uh, Supervisor Pat Harry. In fact, you and I spoke to him the other night. Yeah. Um, he has done some great work and uh, great initiatives, and, and he's oh. a great advocate. Uh, just a great man. Yeah. Great man. And yeah. you and I had a, gr a wonderful conversation with him the other night. And there are so many things that we can do. It's exciting. It really yeah. is exciting. Um, I know we can do so much to help the community. And uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that the public will come out and support our campaign, my campaign. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to do a shameless plug here for oh, myself, gosh, my no, campaign. You should, but as I you told are. you, as I told you before, look, I, I, for my listeners out there, th this is this is the. <laughs> I don't know how to put it to you any other way. I'm retired. 
I am probably the busiest retired person you've ever met. I could, as I told you earlier, I could sit out here on my couch and never leave my couch, and I would still get paid until the day I die because I've, you know, I've worked for 32 years for the government. But I chose to go back to school and become a therapist. And being a therapist in a detox unit is actually pretty hard. It's draining work, right? Um, and I don't need to run for office. I'm truly running for office because I care about the community. I care about the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I care about the people. I'm not running for office just to run for office. And you know, because you've run for office before, if uh, folks, if, if none of you have run for office before, I'm going to tell you, it, it's one of the worst things you can do for your health, uh, for yourself, for your family. It is constant criticism. It is a constant beatdown. Um, you have to do it because you love it and you truly care about the community. And that's that's what I'm doing. And there's so much that we can do in the Commonwealth of Virginia to improve our schools, the first responders, our education, um, the economy, all these different things. Uh, the the liberal policies are not working. If, if you don't agree with me, then you've not been paying attention to the last three years. And we need your help and we need your support. And, and all of the communities should be supporting us, but particularly if you're somebody that's in one of the minority communities that we're talking about, uh, this applies to you especially, especially because what, what you and I are talking about right now benefits everyone, but in particular those communities that have been disproportionately affected, and those are our minority communities. And I'll let you close us out for today. I, I, I think you, you stated very well. I think my appeal is to the minority communities and these independent voters and immigrant communities and also faith communities. I go out mm-hmm. uh, to a lot of communities, uh, Mike. I go to Baha'i communities. I go to a lot of Muslim mosques. Mm-hmm. I go to Buddhist communities. I am always in Jain communities. Uh, um, I go to a lot of Gurudwara. So obviously I go to Hindu communities because I'm a Hindu American. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to synagogues. I mean, that's what I do. I love uh, as, a, as a big proponent of religious freedom. Yep. I go to all of these uh, communities and uh, I talk about religious freedom quite a bit. I said Republican Party values religious freedom. We are not out to uh, close the churches and keep the bars open by any means. <laughs> by the way, uh, if I'm in the Senate, that will never happen again. Exactly. That will exactly. Never, that's what you mark my word on that. That's that what will Governor never Northam happen again. did. Yep. That's what Governor Northam did. Right. Uh, I said uh, we are all about religious freedom. We, uh, we, we do not like uh, religious persecution, not only in America, but throughout the uh, world. I mean, that's why I work uh, with uh, um, Ambassador Sam Brownback. In fact, uh, Ambassador Sam Sam Brownback worked under President Trump uh, uh, to do this throughout the world as well. So I said as a visit, I I actually am the visiting fellow even for um, Independent Women's Forum. I write a lot on price transparency. So we understand there are loopholes even in our healthcare world as well, Mm -hmm. but we still have the best healthcare in the world. Um, We we understand there is anti-Asian discrimination, uh, which is happening. That's why Governor Youngkin is so focused on ensuring uh, by putting me under Asian Advisory Board to ensure that there is a lot of uh, policies that are coming out to support Asian Americans. So Republican Party is doing everything within its power to support the immigrants, uh, uh, to support multi-faith communities, to embrace uh, uh, minority communities and so on and so forth in Fairfax County, Northern Virginia, and uh, Virginia just in general. Mm -hmm. So so, uh, candidates such as you who really don't have to run and put yourself out there are out there trying to tell folks saying that guys, Democrat policies are not working for us. The crime is increasing. The uh, SAT scores are falling down like crazy. Mm -hmm. I see my kids in schools. I mean, the academics are going down. So please give uh, this time uh, independent candidates a chance, Republican candidates a chance. Uh, I think liberal policies are definitely not working. So give these candidates a chance is all I have to tell, especially to the minority communities and immigrant communities. Oh, so that would be my said. statement. Yeah. So how would people get hold of you if, they, if they'd like to reach out to you? So I'm uh, I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm on social yeah. media, but uh, I'm just very open to having these discussions. I always say that, uh, in fact, I, had a, I, I have a couple of community members saying that when do you get the chance to spend time with my family? I said... <laughs> 
my older uh, my older boy is in college right now that gives me a little more ability to come out to these even uh, these kind of discussions in the evening yeah. but uh, but again I'm a healthcare professional I'm a, I'm a giver I enjoy talking to people but happy to speak to anybody um uh, my email is shrilekareddipale@gmail.com um uh which is i know it's a difficult um, thing but i'm on social media shrileka pale uh but i i'll be happy to uh put it on your uh, yeah, podcast yeah and that as will well. be put on to we're going to link to that yes uh, yeah, absolutely podcast, please so do that. happy to uh, come out and speak to any communities in fact uh, um talk about any policy that you guys want to talk about i love talking about immigration policies uh, on where uh, what democrat positions are what um, republican positions are i love talking about second amendment i know that is kind of pet peeve for immigrants communities they think second amendment is what is causing gun violence uh, and i hate to disagree and uh, i'll be happy to sit and have robust discussions about that um i mean love to kind of discuss about women's issues uh, i mean open to mm-hmm. discussions uh, yep. Um, yep oh my goodness we will have to have another discussion about those two issues women's issues and the second amendment issue because that's that's it that is a big one but that's a big one that's going to be that'll be a whole episode in and of itself but thank you so much for coming out here today and doing this and taking your it's a friday evening um it may not be friday evening when you're listening to this but she took the time to come here tonight and and talk to us and so thank you again for doing that and once again you know i am mike van meter and this is sri lakapali and We you know you can support our campaign I'm running for the Virginia State Senate in the 33rd district which is Northern Virginia and our website is vanmeter4virginia.com and that's spelled out vanmeter with e r on the end and then spelled out f o r vanmeter4virginia.com and folks spread this message across the land because it's an important message that you have and folks we are going to make this or maintain this country as being the freedom loving country that it is and that bastion of of uh hope freedom in that beacon of light that Reagan used to talk about that shining light up on the hill we're going to keep it there so folks uh we will be talking with you uh soon you take care god bless america thank you for coming on the show and we'll see all of you next time thank you very much mike